Bible's open tonight in the book of Ephesians. Spending time in the Word, just digging through. Have a new series that we're starting on Sunday. You're going to enjoy it. Unless you don't show up, then you won't enjoy it. We're in Ephesians. We're studying through the first chapters of the book. Um, we are in chapter 2 tonight. Our target verses are going to be verses 8 through 10. There's so much in these three verses, it's just amazing the amount of sermons that are in here. God's Word is so powerful, so alive, amen? You say, I've been preaching since I'm 14 years old, and I have not run out of material. It's just amazing. You say, don't you get bored of it? Not at all. It's the living Word. It's alive. There's multifaceted components to all of these passages. There's prophetic things hidden in there. There's illuminations that the Holy Spirit gives us in timely seasons. The Word of God is so incredible. So, Father, tonight we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the book of Ephesians. We thank you for this incredible servant of God you raised up, the Apostle Paul, that you spoke through by the Holy Spirit and gave us just an incredible treasure in all of these epistles, Lord. We ask tonight that by the Holy Spirit, you'd open these things up to us, that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, we would see how all of this relates to the hope of our calling, and that you would illuminate the text tonight so that the living, breathing word could become part of us. We ask it in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Well, I'm going to read verses 8 through uh, 10, but I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now, in, is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, but God, in verse 4, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Listen to the new material, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And we'll stop right there. So much in those three verses. A little recap of chapter 1 that I read thus far. Uh, shows chapter, chapter 1 showed that we were in him. We looked at five in hymns in chapter 1. Chapter 2 that we're in right now shifts the focus slightly uh, on the reality that we are made alive in Christ. You know, we were spiritually dormant. We were unregenerated. We were born in original sin, and we needed to be born again. And once we were born again, we were regenerated. Our spirit came alive, and we can have a connection with God Almighty. Amen? 
Now, in him is how we get born again and we become alive, but we're made alive in Christ. And that's kind of the shift here and the theme of what's going on in chapter 2. We were all born in that dormant state, and we were going with the flow of the world. You say, but I, I was a good sinner. I was a nice sinner. Right? Everybody thinks, no, I wasn't that bad. We were lost. We were spiritually dead. So we're made alive. We were going with the flow of the world. Our sin nature made us an object of God's wrath. It's important for us to wrap our head around these truths, amen, and to dispel all the, the ideas that we're good and we were nice and we were born saved. No, we were born in sin. And unless you've been born again, you're still in sin. And if you're in sin, you're going with the flow of the world. And it leads to destruction. We talked about regeneration. We, we identified our enemy, the prince of the power of the air. Talked about the fact that he was cast out of heaven. He's in the, uh, he's in the heavens here in the earthly regions, in the heavenly regions there. He has some dominion and authority in the earth because of sin. Uh, we talked about the powers of darkness and God's grace becomes the theme. Now, why? Because it's God's grace, but God, amen? If it wasn't for but God, we'd all be still lost in our sins. We pick up here with the grace theme in verse 8, and we mix in faith. It's that faith component we're going to look at tonight. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Say faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Let's unpack some of that tonight. We're saved by grace, Amen. And, you know, it's all throughout the New Testament. It's a theme of the New Testament. It's a linchpin of our faith. And we say it so many times and we hear it so many times that I think many times the reality of it rolls off of us. You know, you can hear something so much that you become desensitized to it. You know, people who work in hospitals who see death all the time, they, they don't get rattled by it. You know, people who are first responders who come up on car accidents, they don't come unglued at what they see. They, they kind of get used to things. People in combat get used to things. People in church get used to things. And the preacher says something that is just loaded, and it goes out there, and it doesn't have much of an impact. Well, you should stop talking about it, Pastor Rick, because we heard it too much. The thing is, it's all throughout the New Testament. And we have to stay sensitive. That's why our hearts need to be soft and they need to be, you know, sensitive to the things of God, that we don't become hardened to the gospel by just hearing it and not getting excited about it. We, we become desensitized. So this idea that we are saved by grace is something that needs to be near and dear to us and constantly exciting to us. This is one of the texts that will set every person free who is trying to earn their salvation uh, by works to please God by their own efforts. There are many texts in the New Testament, but this is one of them. It's a powerful one. It's one we should commit to memory. We are saved by grace. Now, grace is what saves us every time, all the time, nothing else. And grace is unmerited favor. Just the definition of grace, knowing that, helps us to understand how grace works in us. It's unmerited favor. What does that mean? We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't, we're, you know, we didn't buy it on credit and we're paying it off monthly. Jesus is like, grace is available for, you know, $2.99 a month. No, grace is, we're going to see a gift and it's a free gift, but it's unmerited favor. Now, grace is God being good to us just because he's good. 
say, why would he be so gracious to us? When we begin to unpack grace and look at how grace has affected our life, affected our eternal standing, affected our eternal destiny, we begin to see all the benefits of grace. We might think, why would God be so good to us? He certainly wasn't obligated. He could have just left us in our sin. Our sin was not his fault. It wasn't his doing. Well, God, you know, you put him in the garden and you know the snake was there and you, you should have put the snake somewhere else. Oh, it's kind of your fault. You know, you should have seen that one coming. No, he created us in his image, which means we had a free will, which means he couldn't isolate us from choice or we would be puppets. And that's not what God did when he created us in his image. Are you getting that? We have to have that choice to choose. God said, don't eat from the tree. The, the serpent said, you won't die. Man had to have that choice. So, you know, our sin is not his fault, and, and his grace is not something that, you know, was owed to us, but he, it's just God being good to us because God is good. That's what God's grace is all about, unmerited favor. He's being good. He's being kind. He's being merciful. Why? Because that's who he is. Those are his attributes. That's who God is. He's merciful. He's kind. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. Amen? So that unmerited favor that we could never earn, never deserve, is just God being good to us because he's good, and it's not at all because we deserve it. Understand grace. Now, admittedly, receiving grace can be awkward because it requires humility. Maybe you've been in a position in life where someone had you dead to rights, but they were really gracious to you. Maybe a police officer pulled you over going in a, you know, triple digits in a double-digit zone. Come on. You know those speed traps? They got these places where, I mean, you just think, well, it's got to be 55 here, and it's like 30. You know, and he's got you, and there's the, and then and, and it's just, you know, slow down, sir, have a good day. That's grace. Well, I deserved it. You know, I'm a, I'm a tax-paying citizen. Yeah, you were breaking the law there, Speedy Gonzalez. You deserved the ticket, but, you know, sometimes you get grace. So, you know, this unmerited favor. But when, when, it, when grace is extended, I mean, big grace, a lot of grace, man, you were to be in big trouble, and now, you know, someone just let you get off the hook. It's a little awkward because it's humbling, and it requires humility. Now, I want you to think about it like this. A very rich person sees your life and sees you have a great need. Now, they have a lot of money, and, and maybe you're broke, and you're in trouble, and you're, you need help. And they look at you, and they see that you're in need, so they give you a very expensive gift as a Christmas present that more than meets the need. The gift is exciting, it's overwhelming, you really love it, but what makes it awkward is that you didn't even think about getting them a gift. So they give you this massive gift of grace, and you're like, um, I don't have any, yours is at home, I, I forgot to wrap it. That's awkward, isn't it? Anytime someone gives you a present, and you're like, oh yeah, yours is under the tree. I make it to Walmart. This massive amount of grace, it fills your need. It, it, it's exactly what you needed, but now it's so humbling because you didn't deserve it. You know, you didn't earn it. They just did it out of the goodness of their heart, and it's a little awkward because grace requires humility. The right response is going to require humility. Thank you. Thank you so much. I don't deserve this. How many people have the humility to say things like that? Oh, thanks for the gift. Of yours tomorrow. The very idea of grace grates against the pride of man. 
All of us have pride to deal with. Some of us more than others. People who are proud say things like this. I don't want anything I didn't work for. Have you heard that? Have you said that? I don't want anything I haven't earned. I've earned everything I have in my life. Have you ever heard proud people speak? I don't want anything that I don't deserve, or I don't accept charity. Have you heard stuff like that? Now, in some ways, it's good for us to earn our keep and to pull our own weight and not to look for handouts because God is our source and not man. And it's good that we want to work and earn, you know, and sometimes we have to learn to do without things if we don't have the money. I know this is a strange concept. But the proud person says, I don't want charity. I don't want it. I only want it if I earned it. I only want it if I deserve it. And I want, you know, if we want to be saved, there's no way around it. Our salvation must come by way of God's grace. You're going to have to accept charity. You're going to have to accept grace. And it's going to be humbling. And the right response is, thank you so much. I didn't deserve it. I could never earn it. But I'm so thankful for it. Talking about grace tonight. Talking about being alive in Christ. Grace works best when it's mixed with faith. I want to show you this tonight. Verse 8 says, again, for by grace you have been saved. Now, this is very important. Through faith. And that's why I made you say faith. Saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. You know, this faith component is vital. Grace can be extended, but until it's mixed with faith, it doesn't actually effectuate what God intended it to do. You know, someone could be really kind to you. Someone could be offering you grace. Someone could be offering you a way out or a free gift, and you just say, I I don't want it. And if you say you don't want it and you don't receive it with faith, it doesn't activate the grace in your life. Realize, if you refuse grace and you don't mix it with faith, That grace, no matter how powerful, can't change you, can't save you. There's a whole world out there that God is offering grace to. But many of them refuse to mix it with faith. Why? Because of pride. I, I got into this mess. I'll get out of this mess. I'll make a better version of me. I'll deal with my own sin. I'll try real hard. Come on. This is the struggle in the world. God is offering grace, but until that grace is received and mixed with faith, it doesn't really effectuate what God intended it to do in the life of a person. It adds the, you know, verse 8 adds the faith factor to the grace equation. And, you know, notice the careful wording of the text. You know, there's, there's no sloppy things in God's word. Every word, every mark of punctuation is there on purpose. It says, by grace through faith, amen? See, faith is an important component, and without faith, grace cannot be activated in our lives. You know, at this point, most of us know that our works can't save us, amen? Come on, if we've been sitting in church for any length of time, it's, it's all throughout the New Testament. You can't get away from it. It's not by works that we're saved. It's not by our good deeds. It's not by, you know, the fact that we were better than our friends or we God grades on a curve and we were in the top 40% or, you know, we walked the old lady across the street and so we, we earned points for that. We know our works can't save us. When we were lost in our sin, we were still doing good things and You know, most of us were decent people, but we were still lost. So we know that it's not about works. Salvation requires us to make 
to take a personal leap of faith. There's always a faith component to salvation. It can't be a cerebral thing. It can't be an intellectual thing. It can't be a math equation. It can't be because I proved it in, in, in a lab, in a test tube. God will never allow the transfer of grace to mix with faith and produce salvation if a person ref refuses to take that leap. They're, oh, I want to understand God in my mind. We don't have enough circuits in our mind. You want to understand a supercomputer and you got a calculator. I'm being generous with some of you with the calculator. You know, I think I got one of those things in there with the beads that you slide around. But it's got to be through faith or there's no other way. So salvation requires what? A personal leap of faith. It requires us to make a mental ascent, yes, and to make a spiritual decision to believe. God doesn't save people against their will. Some of us need to remember this as we pray and we witness and we, you know, we preach the gospel. Well, they didn't accept it. They didn't listen. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep coming at them in, in wise ways. Amen. Sometimes you can be so aggressive you turn people off. Amen. Ever seen a Christian like that turn more people off than turn more people to Jesus? Help us, Lord. That's doing the opposite work of an evangelist. Instead of gathering, they're scattering, right? So salvation requires a leap of faith. At some point, you had to say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died, that he rose from the dead, that he died for my sin. He's not just a historical figure. He's the son of God. He's not dead and in the tomb. He's actually alive and seated at the right hand of the God. I believe that. And you, you say, well, how did you believe it? Did you figure it out on paper? Did you, did you get an email? Did you figure it out in a laboratory? No, it's a leap of faith. And you make that mental ascent. Yeah, Jesus is who? He's the Messiah. I, you know, I believe in him. I believe that God raised him from the dead. Now, now I can be saved. And then we make the spiritual decision to trust in Christ. You see that? It's the surrendering of our free will. God doesn't save anyone against their will. Some of us go kicking and screaming, but eventually he wears our will down, amen? God knows how to turn up the heat. How many of you have been through some heat? Woo, some of us are more stubborn than others. Make a movie out of the salvation experience here. But it's a, it's a, it's a leap, and I want you to understand that. So what you're praying for your friends and your neighbors and your family members and your, your lost loved ones, pray that they will have Faith to take the leap, to make the mental ascent, to believe who Jesus is. And then by a decision of their will, submit themselves to God and receive Christ as Savior and Lord. Amen. Now, before we get so excited about the fact that, you know, we made this profound mental ascent and we have such astute, you know, understanding and we've made great spiritual choices that led to our salvation, let's check out the last half of verse 8. Because what I just said there, some people can whip that up into pride. Well, you know, I, I understand who Jesus is, and, you know, I've made the mental ascent, and uh, I've made the leap of faith, and I'm a pretty spiritual guy. And here comes the verse, the last half of the verse. And this is not of yourselves. Oops. It is the gift of God. <laughs> there it is again. 
You didn't earn it. You didn't get it because you were smart. You didn't get it because you made such great spiritual decisions. You didn't get it because you had the mental capacity to understand the word of God and understand the messianic prophecies that fell into place, and it all just added up. No, it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, a free gift. Salvation has so little to do with us that it's amazing. You say, well, why did God make it have so little to do with us? Because if, he, if it did, we would mess it up. You know, there used to be this, uh, this box of cake that they tried to introduce. I believe it was in the 50s or the 60s. That all you had to do with this box of cake mix was add water and you would have cake. And you know what, they put it on the shelves and they're like, this is great because people don't want to measure and they don't want to, you know, milk and eggs. No, they put it on the shelf and they thought this is going to sell like crazy. It didn't sell at all. People didn't want it. It was too easy. So they they went back to the drawing board and they let, let, let's make them crack one egg and add water. This is true. And they put it back on the shelves and it sold like crazy. Why? Because people want to be involved. They want to do something. They want to have a part in what's being made. You see, and, and that's the problem with human nature. We want, we want to do our part. We want to contribute something so that we can, you know, we can have pride in it, but it is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Uh, salvation has so little to do with us. God did all the heavy lifting. Jesus did all the heavy lifting on the cross. It's his blood that redeemed us, amen? In all actuality, the Father wooed us. He, he came after us. He expressed his love to us. The Romans says that we have no excuse. Why? Because creation testifies about the greatness of God. You can't look at the mountains and the streams and the trees and all of that stuff and just think, oh, yeah, it was a big bang. You got, somebody hit you with something that gave you a big bang. If you, because you know what? People who say they believe that don't even really believe that. They're just grappling for some kind of excuse to deny God so they don't have to stand before him guilty of their sin and, and, and receive grace. It's awkward. So the father wooed us and the son died us and he sat down at the right hand of the father and he made intercession for us and then the Holy Spirit pursued us and he drew us. All we did was fall to the irresistible grace of God. So if we thought we were so special because, you know, we understood the great mysteries of life and we understood the scriptures and we understood who Jesus was and you know, we made a great spiritual choice. God did 99.9% of it. The only fraction of a percent that we had to do was the surrendering of our will, which you know what? His grace is so amazing and so irresistible. And when he opens our eyes and we see it, man, how can you say no to that? So verse nine strengthens the whole, you know, free gift of grace argument. This free gift idea is throughout the New Testament. Take a look at verse 9. Not as a result of works. There it is. You know, we're not saved by works. So that no one may boast. Let's take a look at that. Here's verse 9 strengthening the argument for it's a free gift and it's grace. And it, and it does that by heading our pride off at the pass. Um, look at it. You know, salvation is never about the good things we do. We know that. It's not about our spiritual disciplines or restraint. It's not about the great sacrifices we made to serve God. Because if salvation was about any of those things, two bad things would happen. The first one is this. We would, we would not be able to resist bragging about the fact that we were saved. 
If we were saved by our own efforts, we would, you know, we would want to tell everybody about how we made ourselves come to the place where we were saved. And, you know, if you look at the text here, it kind of clues into the fact that, you know, God is revealing human nature, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Look at that. The reason that it says no one would boast is because if it was by our works, if we did earn it, if we got it just because we were smart or we figured it out, we would brag about it. Oh, you're trying to look so holy out there. No, we would, and, and God knew it, so it couldn't be about those things. You know, people who brag about their good deeds or their piousness or their sacrificial works or they, they brag about the exploits uh, that they do for God, they are a huge turnoff. Come on, Wednesday night. Have you been saved long enough to meet some Christians? I've met people that you would think, Glenn, you would think they were Jesus Jr., all the things they've done for God. I talked to people who've been on the mission field. It, it sounded like they were healing people themselves. And I did this and I did that, and I laid hands on this guy and blind eyes open and all that. But praise God. But you know, I, I didn't hear anything about Jesus. I just heard me, 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 I, I, I. They had eye trouble. I, 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 I. You know, people who brag about these things, oh, I'm pious. I'm I'm, you know, I pray for hours a day. I've I've heard Christians say things like, you know, I've heard Christians pray prayer. I think I shared this one time. God, you you need to do this for me. I pray five hours a day. I step back because here comes a boulder. God doesn't have to do nothing for nobody because we did some spiritual gymnastics. What were you praying about for five hours a day? Not your stinking pride. Go now do 10 hours tomorrow and pray about that pride. But I just didn't say anything. I don't have many friends as it is. We'd brag about it if we did it. We, you know, we, we would, people who, who have to brag about all their spiritual works and their exploits and how holy they are, they're a huge turnoff, not only to other Christians, but to the world. Because the world's not looking for people to, you know, tell them how good they are. The world's looking for people who are broken and hurting just like them to come and say, you know what, I was messed up. I was in sin. I was hooked on drugs. I was doing this and X, Y, and Z. And the God who reached down to pick me up out of the gutter. And you know what, there was nothing good about me. You know, you're so much better. Off. And I don't make that testimony up. But just what I'm saying is you're so much better off being real with people. Because you know what, they're thinking, wow, if God did that for you, he could do that for me. The other person that puts themselves on a pedestal, they just drive people away. They're obnoxious to you, to the lost, and to God. Pride is a stench in the nostrils of God. So if salvation was by our works or by our efforts, we would brag about it. We would be tempted to soak up the glory of it, you know. Uh, and the glory belongs only to God. Listen to Isaiah 42, 8. I am Jehovah, the Lord. That is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praises unto graven image. God does not share his glory with men. Salvation is all about God. Remember, I said he did 99.9%. .9%. It's probably more than that. I don't know. I'm not good at fractions, but understand this. We got nothing to be proud about. We have nothing to be boastful about, right? That was percentages. I don't even know what I'm talking about, percentages, fractions. So verse 10 continues, and we, uh, we kind of shut down. We're, this is the last verse we're going to cover tonight. Um, 
I've been going really long on Wednesday nights, and so my wife made me re repent with weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we're going to get you out of here in time for Sunday service this time. Listen to verse 10. For we are his workmanship. That's beautiful. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That, that verse is loaded right there. Check this out here. Verse 10 continues the focus on how we've been made alive through Christ by answering the question of who's responsible for us as, as the creation of God. Now, I want to say something here. You know, none of us are perfect, but all of us are awesome. I'm going to say that again because some of you are stubborn, and I want to make sure you say amen. None of us are perfect, but all of us are awesome because we've been made in the image of God. All of us are awesome and unique. And you know what? The more I get to know people, people are just incredible. The gifts and the talents and the accomplishments. You know, I do a lot of funerals, and I learn a lot of thing about, things about people at the end of their lives. Um, the things they've done, the things they've accomplished, the places they've been. You know, some of these old saints that we've buried this year, some close friends I lost, and I found out things about even my close friends, just amazing things that, you know, I didn't know how they served in, uh, you know, the military, or they were in combat, or they, they were published authors, and all of these things that, you know, people who are not braggadocious don't go around telling everybody, but, but people are amazing. Uh, you know, and I know sometimes that's a hard sell because we know about our flaws, but I want to tell you something, you're awesome and you're unique, and you are gifted and created and made by God for an awesome purpose. Every single one of you tonight, I can say that without fear of contradiction, every single one of us are awesome. So, you know, here's this idea that, you know, it's got to be grace through faith, it's unmerited favor, uh, it's a free gift. Okay, so that's the salvation side. But there are two sides to the human coin. First, human beings in their fallen state, a human being in their fallen state, they, they, they can push the limits on wickedness and depravity and vulgarity. You know, a person that gives themselves over to the sin nature, they can do amazingly evil things. And that's all of us are capable of that if we give ourselves over to that fallen nature. But on the other side of the coin, human beings who are in relationship with God and crucify the flesh and, and allow Jesus to work in them and through them, they can do some of the most beautiful, amazing things. Why? Because they reflect their Father who's in heaven. Amen? There's two sides to the human coin. Don't, don't you know, approach this in a singular way. Well, we're all fallen. We're all evil. We're all depraved. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. On the other side of grace, you're the awesome workmanship of God, created in his image, gifted by him, filled with spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit. Come on, smile, somebody out there. Some of you, you, you might be saved, but your face looks lost. Get your face saved too, amen. Smile a little bit, woo. I'm, the pastor said I'm awesome, I'm unique. This is much better than most of the time. Come on, savor the moment here. What a powerful verse this is. Fallen man can push the envelope of evil. We think about world leaders like Hitler and, you know, and all of these people that, 
the amazing evil that was released through people throughout history. But then we, we look at the other side of the coin and people who surrender to Christ do amazing, beautiful, spiritual, eternal things. Not perfection, not completely free of sin, but a reflection of the creator's greatness and beauty in us and through us because he made us and we're made in his image. Now, why is this even possible? Two reasons. Number one, because we're his workmanship. That's what the text says. Why can we do these things? Why can we reflect his, his you know, attributes? Why can we be loving and merciful and gentle and kind? And why, why can we extend grace to others? You know, wh- why? Because we're his workmanship. You see that? We're, we're just not an anomaly. We're not the result of a big bang. We didn't come from monkeys who decided to stand up because they were sick of walking on their knuckles. I used to joke and say, I'm only the third generation in my family line to walk upright. But that's not true. I think it's four generations for us. You know, we're not an accident. We're on purpose. And we're his workmanship. Think about that. Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Did you get that? Foreknew, predestined, some themes that we've talked about already in Ephesians, reiterated in Romans to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Wow. So what's the drill here? We're saved, we're born again, so what? So the Holy Spirit can sanctify us and work on us to conform us to the image of Christ. What's going on in our lives every day is that God is uh, untangling and, and grinding away the Rick part of me and he's replacing it with the Jesus in me. And he's doing the same in you. And you know what, maybe you don't notice it and maybe you don't see it. That's because we're the last ones to realize things about ourselves. You know when relatives come and they see your kids, oh, they got so big. And you're looking at them, they look the same to me. And it's because we see them every day. But they don't see them and they see the growth. We're the last ones to see growth in the people around us and in ourselves. But you're all growing. Oh, I know I'm growing. No, not that way. We're growing in the image of Christ. Amen. (laughs) These bodies are just going to get big and explode and go away. But the spirit that's left behind is going to be the workmanship of God. And whether you see it or not or know it or not, he's working on you. And you know what? The Holy Spirit does good work. You ever seen somebody, maybe a carpenter or, a, you, know, a, a, you know, maybe a landscape, maybe somebody and they, they do work and you're thinking at that, man, how are you in business? Just said, look, wow, people pay for that? You've seen that, right, right, in the, in the trades, right? You go into a place and somebody did the work and you're like, we got we to start over by blowing this up. You know, but that's not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost does beautiful work. His workmanship is impeccable. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's a masterpiece. That's who's working on you. That's the contractor who's working in your life, producing a masterpiece out of your mess, amen? I was a mess, but the Holy Ghost is making me into a masterpiece that when I see Jesus face to face and I'm delivered from this body of sin for eternity, we'll be able to glory in the workmanship of God that was done in our lives. We're all works in progress. We're all under new management. 
and we're all under construction. So be patient with yourself and be patient with others. Uh, the second, you know, the second thing I want to bring up here th that it's possible for this to happen, you know, because we're his workmanship and also the text says because we weren't made for sin, but we were made for good works. Did you catch that? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. You and I weren't made for sin. Sin was a detour. Sin was an anomaly. Sin was, you know, the result of poor spiritual choices. But God didn't make us for sin. He wanted us to remain in the garden forever, just enjoying his presence and walking with him. But man created in God's image had a free will and made a bad choice that had set into motion a whole bunch of spiritual consequences that by the grace and the will of God are being rectified through Jesus Christ. Uh, at the end of time, he'll rectify all these things and purchase back for us what was lost to sin. So we weren't made for sin. We were made for good works. God made us in his image. He made us to be his children. He made us to resemble him in word and deed. That's what we were made for. You know, God loves nothing more than when his children act just like him. That's the point of the drill. You know, a lot of us have children, and there's sometimes they don't act very well. And what do we do? We say, stop acting like your mother. Or, you know, the mother says, stop acting like your father. It's always the other spouse's fault, right? It takes two to tango, and I've seen over the years that we could have ten good qualities, and the ones that our children will instantly adopt are the bad qualities. We, we, it's just our fallen nature. So, you know, we're made not for sin, but we're made for good works. We're made in his image. So when we act like him, it pleases the Father so much. Why? Because we are made for good works. When someone hurts us and we forgive, it blesses our heavenly Father. When someone is abusive to us, but we extend grace to them. When someone steals from us or, or insults us and we turn the other cheek. Are you getting this? You see, who's your father? Well, who do you act like? When you're wrong, do you act like the devil? When you're in traffic and you get cut off, what do you do? I'm waiting for an answer. No, I'm just kidding. You know, it, it's how we behave. It's how we act. Now, it's not those works that save us, but they sure do say who our father is. And that's what the, you know, you know, years ago, things that would have set me off or made me angry or get me to get into the flesh don't even bother me anymore. Anybody else getting sanctified? <laughs> My dad used to laugh at me when I was young. I get so, as a young man, get so upset about stuff and mad. And, ah, let's go. and he'd just stand there like this. Like, what? He'd be like, in 10 years, that ain't even going to bother you. And he was right. Nothing bothers me too much anymore. And you know what? That's the sanctifying work of God. Well, you're mellowing out, man. Your testosterone is dropping. You know, you're <laughs> fading away. So be it then, if it leaves me more godly, amen. <laughs> little confession here. We're made in his image. When we act like him, it blesses him. The last section of verse 10 speaks of God's eternal foreknowledge. Listen to this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, we get that. Listen, which God prepared beforehand. Say what? Beforehand? Hmm. so that we could walk in them. 
which God prepared beforehand. Remember, we talked about election and we talked about, you know, uh, this idea of being predestined. Why? Because God knew who would respond to the gospel and he knew who would receive the free gift of salvation and he knew who would humbly accept grace and mix it with faith and become his children. He knew all that. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's not surprised. That's one thing about God. No surprises for God. He knows. And so because he knew all of that about us, he planned accordingly for us. Look at that. He prepared beforehand, before our mom met our dad and we were conceived and we were born beforehand, before the foundations of the earth, before the beginning of time, before everything he knew about me and you, and he prepared for us accordingly. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good place to clap. Mm. Before we were born, he knew us, and he prepared uh, beforehand so that we could walk in them. What? Those good works. Why? Because we're his workmanship. Why? Because we're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and we're going to begin to think like him and act like him, even though his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. As we're conformed to the image of Christ, we're going to become more like our heavenly Father. So he's planned for us what to do good works. Why? So that we would walk in them. The, The steps of our lives, the peaks and the valleys of our lives, and the season of our lives have all been mapped out by God and preordained in advance. Hear the truth tonight. Your steps are ordered by God. Your your valleys and your mountaintops are ordered by God. Oh, messing up. I don't know the world. Listen, we take detours. The bottom line on all of that with that truth, the only thing that causes an issue with that truth is if we will submit to God and allow him to lead us. Our steps are ordered, but sometimes we take detours. And you know what I want to tell you something about our detours. They don't cancel uh, the plan of God out for our lives. The gifts and the callings of God are, are without repentance, amen? You know what our detours, they, they, they take us around the mountain maybe one more time, but God in his omniscience has also planned for our detours. God in his omniscience knew when we'd fall flat on our face and he's already planned our comeback. Come on. He knew you'd be in the valley. But he, he's got a mountaintop scheduled for you real soon. He knew you'd be struggling in the darkness, but you know what? The light's about to shine. He knew you would need a breakthrough, and so he scheduled a breakthrough with your name on it in advance, and it's on its way. Just keep walking on the path he's laid out for you. The big question just becomes, will I walk in the steps he's ordered for me? Will I follow his plan for my life, or will I rebel and be stubborn and take detours And even if we do, it doesn't disqualify us. He knows how to deal with our detours. He knows how to deal with our failures. And he's already planned our comeback. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for your goodness in our lives. I thank you for all of these gems of wisdom and encouragement that you have tucked into the book of Ephesians for us in such a time as this. Father, I know that what was said tonight by the Holy Spirit has found good ground in the hearts of your people. So now let it produce fruit in us in the days to come, that what we heard tonight we would apply to our daily living and that it would glorify you as we walk in the steps that you order for our life. I pray that in Jesus' name and the church said.
Amen. Give him praise tonight.